Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I trust that uh, these principles are helpful to you. Amen. I trust more especially that they are understandable. Uh, This is one of the most difficult topics to teach. Because people sometimes question your motives while you teach them. And uh, like I said, all leaders must be free from the love of money. And leaders demonstrate their freedom from the love of money by how they administrate and how they give themselves. Amen. Now, the fact that the recipient of first fruits is a person is biblical. And that persons who function as preachers of God's word and or have some kind of spiritual responsibility over the souls of men um, should be honored financially. Now, nowhere in the New Testament did Paul use the phrase first fruit nor tithe. But it is clear from his discussion on matters financially that he probably would allude to it, though not using the terms. Now, I want to make reference to one uh, specific portion um, of Scripture uh, in this regard. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. You'll find this on page 16 at the bottom. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, or you can just follow with me on the screen. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the, the flock? I am not speaking about these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? So he's referencing, he's asking a question in verse 7 about who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit or tends a flock and does not access the milk. And then in verse Uh, 9 or verse 8 he says I'm not speaking about these things according to human judgment listen carefully and he says does not the law everyone say the law tithes and first fruit predate the law this is very important to understand tithes and first fruit are not law based they were practiced in the law but the initiation is without law because it was initiated hundreds of years before the law and practice, before the law with its priesthood and its system of, of, of sacrifices was established. So people that argue we are not under the law, we are now under grace, therefore the practice of first fruits and tithes no longer persists because Jesus fulfilled the law, do not understand that the initiation of these practices was predated the law by hundreds of years. It just that it was practiced in the law but its initiation is without law. So you cannot use the argument that we are under grace. Because Paul is saying, does not the law also say 
these things about the fact that if one plants a vineyard, must access the fruit of it, or as, as flock must access the, the milk. And then he says this in the next verse. For it is written in the law of Moses. Or threshing the grain, you know how they did it. Um, don't put a muzzle over the ox. Don't block the mouth of the ox while he is doing the work. Because by virtue of the fact that he's doing the work, should have access to the grain as well. That's the image that he's provoked here. Okay, do not muzzle the ox while he's threshing out the grain. Okay. said that he's concerned about oxen and he gives the answer verse 10 or is he speaking altogether for our sake yes for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the the crops if we sowed and now he talks as we as apostles we as ministers of christ he's arguing therefore if we sowed spiritual things to you is it too much if we reap material things well this is paul's mind he said if i have sown to you spiritual resource is it too much if you know the book of corinthians and second corinthians Corinth was plagued by an influx of false apostles. Now watch. These false apostles in the Corinthian context, in, in Paul's language, peddled the word of God. Right? They were, he said they were peddlers of God's word, literally meaning they, uh, they, they sought to recruit financial profits from the ministration of God's word. So Paul would distance himself from it. So he says, if others, in reference to these guys, Share the right over you. Do not we who are true apostles of Christ all the more. Nevertheless, watch the flow of thought here. He says, nevertheless, we did not use this right. Everyone say right. What is he saying is, we have this as a right, but I did not insist upon it. Right? And let me just say this for the record. Particularly to the people that are listening to me. That are, are members of our local household, sons in our local fellowship. Um, I do not insist that you pay first fruits. I do not insist. I want to make it very clear. If you're not comfortable with it, do not observe it. I don't want to let money be a hindrance to you. You, don't, you are free to observe it or not, but you only obey it from the point of view of the revelation of the truth from within your spirit. But until you're comfortable with it, then desist from doing it. And not do it in terms of coercion or out of pressure to be compliant to a corporate context. Right? It must be, all giving, by the way, must never be out of compulsion. Because God loves a, a, a cheerful giver. So like Paul, I would say to you, I don't insist upon it. I would not insist upon it. Um, but I do, however, feel that you are closing yourself off from a whole range of blessing and an economy in God designed to take you to the next level. So he says, we did not insist upon this, upon this right, but we endure all things so that we cause no hindrance to the gospel of, of Christ. Amen. 
So his, his heart is, and listen to what Paul did in the Corinthian context. His heart is, I don't want to cause a hindrance to the essential message of the gospel. And if finances and your approach to it is going to hinder your movement into that, then I desist from insisting upon the right of ministers to, to be financed from the spiritual work that they do within your context. Look at verse 13. Do you not know that those who perform the sacred services eat the food from the temple? And those who attend regularly, regularly the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But uh, what he says, this is very important for you to understand, verse, 14, verse 15. But I have used none of these things. He says, I have used none of these things. Am I not writing these things so that, you, so that it will be done? So in my case, for it would rather be better for me to die, rather for me better for die, to die than to uh, any man make my boast an empty one. Let me explain what happened here. Paul refused to accept any kind of financial support from Corinth, specifically Corinth. He did receive financial support from the province of Macedonia, particularly from Philippi, the Philippian church. Okay? Remember Philippians 4, he said, you, you've sent a gift more than once to me. Okay, so he was the recipient of material or materiality or financial offerings in their response to his administration of spiritual resource to them. If I have blessed you spiritually, should I not reap from you, he argued, materially. But just quickly... And it's in my notes. I just want to read it to you. It's not in your notes, so just make a note of it. He said... Um, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. And he says in the next verse, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you, Corinthians. Right? He said in all the while, he deliberately distanced himself from the false apostolic expression. It was all so pervasive in Corinth that Paul took a decision I will take nothing from Corinth. But he says, I have robbed other churches by, in my attempts to serve you. Okay? In my attempts to serve you. In verse 9, just quickly for your reference. When I was present with you, I was in need. I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And I will continue to do so. Right? I love Paul's heart here. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. Okay? Unless it's a revelation born out of the truth, your acceptance of the truth of it in your spirit, so then um, you ought to, to practice it. Okay? So then you ought to practice it. Now, um, this particular case study, go to page 19 for reference which I will get to in a moment, okay? I will get to it in a moment. On Sunday, I want to do the case study very 
accurately, very deta in detail. It's the case study of the, the man from Baal Shalisha and the administration, how he offered his first fruit to Elisha as his spiritual father and how, how that, that entire thing was administrated. So just nudge your neighbor and say, that's a forthcoming attraction for Sunday night. <laughs> it's going to be a Sunday night. It's a very important case study, I believe. But um, I want you to, to go to page 20. I said to you, it's a fearful thing for a spiritual father, listen carefully, to receive monies of first fruit honorings from his sons who are in God. Publicly, he is allowed to use some of those funds for his personal needs. Okay, and you'll find that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18 and verse 8. Just put that verse up, Luke. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 8. They which are the priests, they shall eat equal portions except what they receive from the sale of their father's estate. Do you have the King James? We don't have the NLT on the, on the computer. Okay. Um, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes in from the sale of his inheritance. The, the NLT says he shall eat his share even though he has a private source of income. Um, it's, it's your honor of the Lord in him in thanksgiving to the spiritual resource they represent and the filtering through of grace via the word of the Lord that you are responding to. I'm saying this because I heard some people say, oh, well, he is well stacked. He doesn't need my first fruit. No, no, no. He's standing. has got no bearing on your observance. The, the observance of the principle is important. Okay. And by the way, it's in your best interest that you have a minister that is blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, don't look at me so sad now. The Bible says God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. If you don't take pleasure in it, at least God does. Okay. You should rejoice. You know, Judas, I believe, was envious of Jesus when they, that woman took the spikenard of 11 months worth of wages, and she poured it on him. A son must never become envious of his spiritual father in the spiritual father's disposition of administrating first fruits. Because right? the very next verse says, and Judas left the house. Can activate the Judas in the house. Right? So tell your neighbor no envy. No envy. Remember what it says? We read in Nehemiah 12, For Judah rejoiced over the priests, and first fruits in abundance and tithes. Let me say this. When I think of my father in the Lord, I think, where will I find such another one? It's a rarity in the earth right now. You don't find that ilk under every block, under every rock. And to find such a man in whom God stands, it is my absolute pleasure and joy. Freedom of my heart and I do it gladly. To part with large volumes of money and say, I honor the Lord in you. Because you don't find that class. You don't find that pedigree. If you have a priest that is credible, that is sincere, that is pure, 
that does his work with diligence, that he's concerned for the welfare of your soul, that will give his life for you. It should be your ultimate joy and privilege to honor the Lord represent in him. Amen. Come on, tell your neighbor again, rejoice over your priest. Rejoice over your priest. There's a particular case study that is negative in the scripture of priests that received first fruits and were judged harshly for it because they mismanaged the funds. And they used all the funds for personal gain without concern for corporate welfare. And that case study is on page 20. It's the case study of Eli's sons. Eli's sons. I'm saying this for the record. I know most of you don't need to hear this, but these tapes are going global. So if there's any leader out there listening to the sound of my voice, and if you're the recipients of first fruits, I pray the fear of God hits you when you begin to manage this. Because what is designed as a blessing could lead to your demise. If you mismanage the thing, this is God's money. This is God's funds. Okay? I really believe we're getting to a day in Christ where the bulk of first fruit receipts is going to be used corporately and not privately. Okay, I really believe this with all of my heart. And we're putting measures into place in our administration of first rules that we manage at this level so that uh, God can see management of it and so bless us all the more. Eli, obviously, his sons were backslidden, a backslidden priesthood. Okay? The Bible calls them worthless. Okay? It says, 1 Samuel 2 verse 12, now, the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. Yet, they're the sons of the high priest, and automatically would, would come into high priest status. Eli's problem himself, that he was half backslidden, okay? And so his sons, the Bible says, were worthless men. The, the, the Hebrew for worthless, as indicated in your notes, on the top of page 20, is Eliyal, or Belial means they're base fellows without profit good for nothing how's that All right good for no now you can read this in translated the sons of eli were good for nothing right <laughs> they were worthless base but the word has strong immoral a strong immoral component and a concept of wickedness attached to it so what they would do they would intercept people at the temple door coming to give first fruits to the high priest and they would, they would take this and be self-indulgent and use all of the proceeds for their greed and for their selfish intent. Okay? And so God says in 1 Samuel 2 verse 29, Why do you kick at my sacrifice? 1 Samuel 2 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering? which I have commanded in my dwelling. This is to Eli, the priest, right? And you honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of the first, or the choices or the first of every offering. Now the word kick there is bart, and it literally means to disdain or to scorn, and it literally means to have a disrespectful attitude and unholy actions now i believe that um, if this disposition accompanies set men spiritual fathers apostolic fathers apostolic leaders 
or anybody in charge of spiritual sons and you're receiving first fruits and you kick at the offering of the Lord. In other words, you approach the management thereof with a disrespectful attitude or irreverence or function outside of the fear of God in terms of how you receive it and how you administrate it, then I believe the judgment that befell Eli and his sons will befall you. Okay? It's a fearful thing. Everyone say it's a fearful thing. It's a, it's, it's a fearful thing. Um, for me, if someone gives me privately, a lot of people choose to do that. It must, they want them of the mindset that must leave my hands and go into your hands. Usually what we do is we receive it if it's done physically. I, I, no matter how busy I am, sometimes someone will come to me and like a soberness grips me. And I'll, I'll receive it. And usually I say, I'll receive it and then I pronounce a prayer over the, over the giver. And in my prayer, usually I say things like, Father, I receive this on your behalf. I receive it as though you are receiving it. Give me the wisdom to administrate this. And we're very sensitive to how the Lord will lead us and, and guide us. Publicly, we can use it for some of our own needs. But we must also be very aware of corporate needs and how to, to filter money to this and that where the need presents itself. Okay? Now, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 20, everyone say, seen to be honorable. Now, Paul, in his administration of a relief offering, makes this statement. Paul says, we took precaution or taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in the administration of this. What was Paul's concern? There was a generous gift, right? His concern is we must take precaution. Why? He did not want observers to discredit him in how he administrated the generous gift, right? And he says in the next verse, verse 21, we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. I believe that in any particular community, there should be at least evidence within the sons of that specific household of testimony to how the set man used money to alleviate some need. And I believe the greatest testimony to your credibility uh, and to your integrity of administrating the, the first fruit offering would be to have testimony in your house of how you use either first fruits and or tithes to alleviate some of the needs of, of people in your house. Okay? And uh, you'll see that economy grown. In the early church, money was brought to the feet of the apostles, remember? And the Bible says in commenting in, in the verses prior that there was no one that had a need in the place. Right? Because people sold possessions and distributed to others as had need. Now that can take place uh, within the community of the saints. So if Enola notices Julina has a need, I don't need to know anything. She can use some of her funds to supply Julene's need. Not so. But I believe that's one economy where brothers take care of brothers. But I believe another economy exists where we're going to get to the place where, where money is directed to leadership, significant, legitimate needs within the house, in the lives of people personally, 
or the house corporately. This is a not so much spoken aspect of first fruits. The Bible says that, this, that an elder must not be greedy or filthy. Luke must not be greedy of, of money, must be free from the, the love of money. If you have the love of money, you're disqualified from leadership because God cannot trust you financially. Right? So your heart has got to be integrous, has got to be pure in terms of the administration. I want to just, before I speak about the blessings of first fruit, which I really want to speak about, I'm almost tempted to go there right now, because a lot of the times to motivate people to observe the thing would be to talk about the blessings attached to the thing. And you see what's in store. <laughs> okay? And so, um, but I want to make reference to page 33, if you would go there first. We discuss Hezekiah as an example of a reformer in reference to uh, the restoration of, of first fruits. And then on page 34, you have the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And I said to you, Nehemiah authoritatively called forth for the practice of the observance of tithes, first fruits, um, and offerings. And he built chambers for the store of these things. Now go to Nehemiah 13 verse 10. So that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. I reprimanded the officials and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered together and restored them to their posts. And Judah then brought the tithe of all the grain, the wine, the oil into the storehouses. Then in verse 13, I'm not going to read it, but several individuals were put in charge of the storehouses and to distribute the tithe to the Levites. Verse 14, he makes a remarkable statement. He says, remember me for this. He does not say, remember me for the wall I built. I would, if I was near my Lord, that wall, remember me, Lord. I built that wall. He's not concerned. He says, remember me for bringing the nation back to biblical financial order. He says, remember me for this, O Lord God, to not blot out all my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and for its services. Right? And I think this is a one last aspect of reformation that must be restored to the global body of Christ. Amen. Maybe I too one day can say to the Lord, remember me for this. <laughs> At least the small part that I'm playing in it. Amen. You have no idea of what awaits for you spiritually when your financial world is aligned accurately it's the gateway to untold not just spiritual not just material blessing but spiritual administration of destiny the access to revelation light and illumination awaits you and i'll prove this to you on on sunday can you see the heart of, re of the reformer remember me for this O lord god okay on page 37 just a few pointers of why i believe first fruits and you can lump tithes in here as legitimate New Testament practices. I already made some reference to it. Your first bullet point there is the first fruit giving predates the law and the tithe by thousands of years. First fruit was the first uh, legitimate offering offered by a human being to God in human history. Abel, the son of Adam, the son of God. Abel offered a first fruit offering, and the Bible says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his 
and his, and his offering. So the law argument doesn't hold because this is without law. And anything without law, I believe, is an eternal principle in God. Okay, an eternal principle in God. Even so, for those that argue it was law-based, and now in the new covenant we are under grace, therefore the law does not persist. The scripture does say that the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to, to lead us to Christ. Okay, everyone says schoolmaster. So it was our trainer. It was the thing that schooled us or trained us with the ultimate intent of leading us into faith in Christ. What we could not observe under the law, we are now able to observe by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, by faith in Christ Jesus. And, and you know the principle of anything you learn in elementary school, primary school, right? Elementary school or primary school, the principles are presupposed, subsumed, and assumed into higher learning. Not so? Elementary is not unimportant. We use the word elementary today in the modern context to deem unimportant. If you go to elementary school, a modern equivalent of primary school, the states, they, they use the term elementary, like the elementary doctrines of Hebrews 6, right? The foundational doctrines are not unimportant, but they are absolutely essential for what takes place at the higher level. So you cannot build on inaccurate found foundations. So the Bible says in Romans 15 verse 4, that the, the Lord, everything that happened aforetime to Israel, that happened to them was written for our instruction and for our, and for our learning. So the, the, the arithmetic principle of 1 plus 1 is equal to 2 is an elementary principle. You learned that in class 1, right? Well, now in preschool, I think they're learning things much earlier. Okay? And then you wrote, learned that. It is assumed, subsumed, and presumed into a professor's inquiry into a difficult mathematical problem that he's trying to resolve. That principle is subsumed, presumed into his mindset, although he's dealing with logarithmic complex equations now. But the basics are assumed into his knowledge as he deals with the greater complexities. Elementary things that ingrained within us certain disciplines and capacities. It was a shadow that was um, uh, made real by the substance in the new covenant. You don't set aside the disciplines. You practice them by faith in Christ Jesus. So giving like tithes, first fruits, and offerings teach order, teach discipline, give structure to one's life. Right? Now, it's amazing to me that some people that argue that we don't have to practice it because we are under, under law, and that all giving should be completely and solely spirit-led, grace-determined, I would argue with you and say, because you're my brother, let us not argue about this. All I appeal to you then is then, by grace, then demonstrate the nature of your giving to me. I guarantee you, this might not be applicable to all, but most people would teach that giving should be Grace determined, not law governed, fail to comply with God's level of giving for their world. They'll claim to be spirit led. Now, here's an example. In the Lord says, Thou shalt not kill. In the Lord says, uh, Thou shalt not steal, for example. When 
And Paul said, let him who steals, steal no more, but let him work with his hands. The law only said, do not steal. Paul under grace said, he echoed the law, do not steal, but work with your the law, Paul under grace added an addendum. It's like, it's not just good not to steal. Now you work with your hands and earn your own money. Right? In the Lord was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And not committed adultery in the law means being caught in the act physically. Under grace, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery where? In your heart. My question to you, which requirement is the higher? Grace. If you tell me first fruits, tithes, and offerings were law-based, I submit to you, then demonstrate the higher order by grace. Most people that, that, that argue this are not, to my knowledge, and please, I need to say this for the record, because there are exceptions to this, do not honor God as they should financially. And for many people, they use it as a cop-out. I believe the tithe, the first fruit, the offering brings structure to my giving. Brings discipline, regimen to my life. I don't engage it with a legalistic mindset. I don't engage it coercively under compulsion or with a law mindset. I do it by grace. Again, I need to say this. This conference is set against the backdrop of 18 sessions that I've just completed on finance, 18. So yeah, I, I argue that all giving must be grace prompted, not, not, not with a legalistic mindset. And what you're unable to do, could you keep the law under the law? You couldn't, right? The law was designed to reveal sin, the scripture says. The law was devoured, uh, designed to reveal man's inability to, to keep it. But Christ, to fulfill the law, didn't come to abolish the law. He says the law is fulfilled, having now come into Christ in relationship with Him. Watch. By grace, I, can, I don't have to commit adultery by the highest standard, which is not physically committing it. I can live by a standard where I don't lust after a woman that is not my wife. By grace that He provided, having fulfilled the, having fulfilled the law. And He is the greatest gift. By His power. It says in Corinthians 8-9, You know the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that you through His poverty might become, might become rich. Amen? You through His poverty might become rich. And in a particular session where I explained this verse quite extensively, I said this, what, When you can't, grace can what you are unable to do based on human capacity, by grace, you can fulfill. Paul spends two whole chapters on financial giving. And in this chapter, 8, 9, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus, you know it. Tell someone, you know this grace. How do you know it? He says, it's a rich grace that knows how to impoverish itself to enrich others. It knows how to give. It knows how to inconvenience itself to convenience uh, another let me just say this to you. If you look at the requirement of first fruits, tithes, and offerings, and you say there right now, Randolph, I love what you are saying, but this is a very tall order. I am saying to you, don't try to fulfill this based upon your own strength. There's a grace available. If you tap into it, 
grace will prompt the obedience. It will not be up to you. Just incline your heart to it at least. And grace, grace kicks in to empower your obedience in the same. Tell someone it's all going to be by grace. I'm a firm believer. All giving should be grace prompted, grace initiated, grace empowered. Amen. All giving should be prompted by grace. The third bullet point at the bottom of the page already indicated to you that it was the principle of faith that both ignited and characterized the first fruit giving even before the law was given. For by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Okay? So the principle of faith predates the law, without law. What is by faith will persist. For there abides three things, God said. Paul said in Corinthians, three things will always remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest being love. But he said, faith and hope will always remain. Always persist. So if a man before the law in the old covenant did a thing by faith, what he did by faith should be applicable in the new covenant by faith. One argument that I want to stress on page 38, bullet point, the second bullet point there. Absolutely nowhere, watch, in the New Testament is first fruits, that's first financial first fruits. Now please listen to my argument here. The first fruit practice, tithing and offerings, were contemporary with animal sacrifices and the act of circumcision. Notice. Let me argue this, watch. Was circumcision and animal sacrifices law-based? It, it persisted in the law, but it wasn't law-initiated because both practices existed before the law. Not so? Right? Um, circumcision was given to Abram as a command to observe. Right? God killed animals and they, with their skins clothed Adam and Eve. So the principle of animal sacrifice and circumcision itself as practices predated the law, but also then were also confirmed in the law, like the tithes and first fruits, right? Similar argument. But when you come to the New Testament, Paul vehemently opposed the principle of fleshly circumcision and he argued, the scriptures are all there, he argued in favor of the circumcision of the heart. And he says, who is the true Jew? Not the one who practices the physical circumcision, but a circumcision by Christ. And he vehemently argued for the discontinuance of physical circumcision. Even the council at Jerusalem, Acts 15. Remember they met? Moses, according to the law, said, you must be circumcised. The apostles took a decision in Acts 15 and says, don't bother, non-Jews, Gentiles were coming into the kingdom by faith in Jesus to be circumcised. So Paul and others were very vocal, watch, in their desistance, if there's a word, <laughs> discontinuance concerning the right of circumcision. The writer of the book of Hebrews was perhaps the most vocal in his argument as to the discontinuance of animal sacrifices. Not so? He spends a great deal of time. Now, my argument is that if animal sacrifices and circumcision were contemporary with acts like giving, specifically first fruits and tithes, and in the New Testament, writers were so vocal about the blatant, very clear, 
very conscious, very deliberate attempts to discontinue those practices in a New Testament culture, why did not they also take the time to emphasize the discontinuance of tithes and first fruits? Because these practices were all contemporary. If you would, for example, if you categorize specific dispositions or practices or behavioral uh, 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 conditions that God expected of the nation, he would stress things like animal sacrifices. You must be circumcised. You must give your tithes first with offerings. Why in the New Testament are writers of the New Testament so vocal about the discontinuance of two and left the other completely silent about the other? My view is that if it was mentioned in the Old Covenant without its very clear um, discontinuance vocalized in the New, it should continue in the New. You love the book of Proverbs? Why you love the book of Proverbs? What's, full, what, what's it full of? Everyone say wisdom. You love the book of Proverbs? Well, let me ask you this. Who loves the Old Testament? Come on, let me see your hands, right? You must love all scripture. Say all scripture. All scripture. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy 3, I think it's 16, where he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, did he have most of the New, Test of the New Testament? No. So what scripture is he referring to? Predominantly all of the Old Testament, because none of the New Testament was canonized by then. So all scripture. So the Old Testament covenant is very relevant. You have to be discerning about what continues and what persists. What continues and what persists. Jesus himself at one stage said this. He, he said to the Pharisees that you tithe mint and common, rue and dough, herbs. You tithe. But he said you neglect the weightier matters of the law. Mercy, judgment, righteousness, and in another version, the love of God. Next verse he says, these you ought to have done and not left the other undone. If there was ever a place in the New Testament where Jesus had occasion to insist upon the discontinuance of the tithe, would have been right there, right? But he never did. In, in other words, he encouraged the Pharisees, continue the tithe, but without not neglecting weighty issues like mercy, justice, and the law of God, Okay. Now, I asked you if you love the book of Proverbs. Yes, you still love the book of Proverbs? Why is the book of Proverbs so powerful? Book full of wisdom for life. We use it to guide us in a whole range of areas. So do not delete Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Don't typex that portion out where it says, Honor the Lord with, from your wealth, with the first of your produce. Put the New King James. Honor the Lord with your substance or your possessions. King James says, substance, New King James says, possessions. With the first fruits of all your increase. Let's say you did not have any other reference except this passage of Scripture. And you come before God and say, Lord, how am I going to observe this? I want to honor you with the, with the first fruits. Okay? If you're using the book of Proverbs for wisdom to govern every other area of your life, use it also to govern your, your finances. That's all we are saying. Oh, by the way, in the law it says, thou shalt not steal. Now, you've got to ask when the Bible says that, if you say the Lord does not persist, are you saying the Ten Commandments don't persist? Are the Ten Commandments still relevant for today? Yes. There's a specific application of the Sabbath 
which I don't want to go into right now, because the Lord has become the Sabbath, right? But generally, the moral component of the Old Testament law still persists. The law, when you reference the term law, you must reference or distinguish very clearly what you are referencing. Because the Old Testament law was divided into the, 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 the ceremonial law and the moral law. The ceremonial law no longer persists, but the moral law is still upheld. In fact, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus took it to a higher level. And the old covenant says, thou shalt not steal. Malachi says, wherein have you robbed me, declares the Lord, in tithes and offerings. So to withhold the tithe is theft. So the law in reference to tithing is moral and still persists. Tell someone tithing is a moral issue. Because we're not, we're not called to steal and to withhold the tithe is equated to theft. Right? To withhold the tithe is equated to, to theft. So I want to encourage you uh, for these and probably other reasons which I don't want to get into uh, right now because of time. I believe the first fruit principle is still a relevant practice for us um, in the New Testament today. Amen. I said to you this is a hotly debated topic in the global church right now. Amen. But based upon the revelation of the truth in your spirit, I want to encourage you, so observe it. I want to challenge you perhaps with a specific focus now, and this is page 42, just in the remainder 10 or 15 minutes. I said to you, Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord. Everyone say, honor the Lord. So please do not forget this. It's an honor to the Lord represent in the person that God has placed in your life as a spiritual father. I wanted to speak generally in a, for a few moments around the principle of honoring grace. Everyone say honor grace. Honor grace. And uh, I will allude to more of this on Sunday evening. Now, what I'm about just to teach in brief is this, that when you give first fruits to your set man or spiritual father, it is one of the biblical ways, among the way, but a powerful way of accessing the grace of God designed to benefit you. So Paul, yeah, we read this earlier, argued, if we sow to you spiritual things, is it not too much that we reap? Material things. In Galatians 6, 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things in the one who teaches him. So the one who is taught, that's you is to share in all material things, all good things, with the one who, who teaches him. I need to present this to you predominantly from the New Testament. Paul's mindset about honoring those who labor diligently among you. I believe first fruit offerings would be one of those expressions by which you honor them and which you appreciate them. Okay? 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17 let the elders, and a spiritual father is an elder that labors in doctrine. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of. Everyone say double honor. Double honor. Now, especially those who work hard at preaching and, and teaching. Not so. Listen to the same verse in the NLT. It's in your notes. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and, and teaching. What I'm suggesting to you, and I need to say this, to, to, to ingrain and install a principle in your mind, it's biblical to honor the
the one who teaches you financially. Right? Before we would teach this apologetically no more. Right? Now we do it positively with authority. Yeah? It is biblical to honor the person that, that teaches you the word of God and so distributes grace. And I believe the first fruit offering is a way in which we can, we can do that. Romans chapter, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 says the following, But we request of you, brethren, you should appreciate those who labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Those who have oversight or charge over you in the Lord and consistently instruct you, you are to show appreciation. And for me, financial honor is one of the most powerful ways you show appreciation. It is fine to say, I love you and I honor you, Randall. But did you know honor, biblically, kabir, equated to glory, doesn't just regard an estimation in the mind. You can have an estimation in the mind of somebody else and you can say, based on my internal view of you, I honor you in the Lord. I hold you up there. I honor you. I respect you. The word for honor in the Greek, tomeo, literally means to do something in reference to that revelation. Okay? In reference to that. So honor starts with an opinion in the mind, but must filter through with an expression with a hand. It's not just fine just to honor a person. It starts there. It's very important to have the right view. Because if you have the wrong view, you will not honor the person practically. Right? You will examine all the verses in reference to honor. Even when Achan was asked by Joshua uh, when they did not know who stole the stuff and why is Israel being defeated in the battle against Ai after we conquered Jericho? Why is a smaller city routing us? And remember, he brought all the tribes and he wanted to find out the culprits. You know what he said to Achan? Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord by coming clean. And Achan refused. So honor always involves a gesture, an act. For, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 26. Sunday I want to talk, Sunday evening specifically, amongst many things about the covenant of salt. And you will see how these scriptures contextually can be engrafted into an understanding of how first fruits are given in honor to your set man to participate in the predominant grace that God has given him. It's a way, it's a vehicle, it's a method. It's a methodology. But before we conclude, I'm just hearing the Lord as I'm speaking. I want to pray specifically to break a spirit of fear. I'm sort of moving as I'm hearing the Lord. Because I'm picking up there. Some of you are approaching this principle, but there's fear in your heart. Now, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Let me just say this. By faith, He offered the antonym of faith is fear and unbelief, doubt, right? Fear is the enemy of faith. Whenever faith seeks to present itself, fear will always surface. Now, go to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Just a few verses, and I'm going to pray a specific prayer. Cast your bread upon the, the surface of the water, and you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven and two, eight. Seven is perfection. Eight denotes new beginnings. Not so. Seven also denotes rest. Seven is a number depicting rest, completion, or perfection. And eight new beginnings. So it says, just 
put up the King James or New King James. Everyone say give. So with the NASB says devise or divide, the King James says give. So it's talking about giving. Go back to NASB. So it's give or divide portions to seven and even to eight. Uh, the, 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 the point here to give to eight means give to initiate new beginnings. Give to enact new phases, new, new pathways, new errors in your life. I really believe a significant offering can activate a new era, a new beginning in one's life, okay? And then it says, why that first fruit offerings and offerings in general for those who are faithful serve as God, part of God's immunization process for the Son of God when calamitous times befall the earth generally. Disaster will befall the earth, not so? Right? We're living in perilous times, aren't we not? And there's economic disaster mounting and growing that's going to befall the earth. But sons of God will be preserved in those times of global economic famine. But the antidote to experiencing the ravaging effects of global economic disaster, because you don't know what misfortune is coming on the earth, so the scripture says you better learn the practice of bringing perfection to your giving and giving to start new errors. Right? You better learn the principle. For me, giving is not innocent. It's not, it, it's not without significance. Tell your neighbor, we are preparing. Those will be, will be most preserved, I believe, with all of my heart. Those that will be most preserved will be those that proved faithful. With the administration of their finances in reference to tithes, first fruits, and offerings. Listen to me. God is your father. He will take care of you. Amen. But I believe you're going to learn the disciplines attached to his words about giving. People don't like scriptures like this. There is misfortune coming on the, the earth. There is misfortune. It's mounting. It's growing. It's almost inevitable. But I submit to you to not be governed by a spirit of fear and let, your, your, and let the decision to manage your, your disposition towards first fruits, tithes, and offerings be affected by global looming economic disaster. This is the pathway to preserve you in that. This is God's methodology to keep you immunized in what is to follow. Okay? Look at the next verse. Quickly, verse 3. If, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether the tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever it falls, there it lies. Next verse. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Now, the wind to a, and clouds to a farmer is an economic indicator. We have economic indicators in our modern economy like share prices, the rate of inflation, interest rates, and so forth. When those rise or fall, it tells us the state of the economy. For the farmer in an agrarian society, it would be the clouds. It would be the, the wind. So this text is saying, if you keep your eye on the economic indicators, it will affect what you sow. What does it say about Isaac? When did Isaac sow? And Isaac sowed in a time of famine. When all common sense, the natural mind says, not the season to sow, bro. Wasting seed. But he, he sowed outside of natural conditions, being prompted to by revelation in his spirit. And the Bible says in the same year. Everyone say same year. 
in the same year he reaps a hundredfold, you will be preserved. But if you're watching, if you're watching the winds, you will not sow. In fact, I believe the best time to sow is within a context of need. Verse 5 and 16, we'll. Just as you do not know the path of the wind, how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Next verse. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know where the morning or evening sowing will succeed, whether both of them alike will be good. In other words, practice sowing consistently, morning, evening. Practice it regularly. Practice it diligently. Now, just in closing, and then we're going to pray. Here's a case study. I'm just going to leave a lot of scriptures out here. But in 2 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, we're going to pray that God will rid us from a spirit of fear. There was a famine in Elijah's day. Not so. How long was the famine? Three and a half years. Global economic disaster. Did God preserve the prophet? Yes. Famine. Now just watch um, how this plays out. Verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Think about the context. Oh, by the way, who started this famine? Same guy. He said there will be no rain except at my word, boasting to King Ahab. God instructed him, obviously. So the thing you prophesy, you will experience, right? <laughs> but it was God's purpose, but you, the son, in a famine, God ordered. And by the way, the, 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 the coming global economic disaster will be God's ordering, God's initiative to get the nation's attention, right? But in it, you will be preserved. In it, you will be taken care of. And look how God took care of this prophet. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Okay? She arose, sorry, he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please gather me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it. He called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord God lives, I have no bread, but a handful of flour in the, in, a, in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks. I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we might eat and die. Now, she says, I'm going to eat and I'll die afterwards, right? <laughs> this is like a lack of faith, total lack of faith. Economic conditions bringing to bear upon squashing of faith, killing of faith, and brooting fear within her. What, does he, what did he pick up? Fear here. The first thing out of his mouth is, do not fear. Tell someone, do not fear. Because first fruit is a radical offering. And when you do what you do it in faith, without fear. Right? He says, do not fear. Go do as you have said. Except that you won't die, right? Do as you have said, but make me a little bread and cake from it. What was this offering? A first fruit offering. Do something first and the rest will be blessed. Do something first. Tell someone, 
do something first. And bring it out to me. In other words, honor the Lord God in me. Right? And did not the spirit of father rest on Elijah? Elijah. I will send you the spirit of Elijah. Turn the hearts of fathers to son. He's the embodiment of the father in grace. This man. And bring it first out to me. And afterwards you might make one for yourself and for your son. Now watch. He prophesies. For thus saith the Lord. Spirit of prophecy on the man. The bowl of flour will not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the face of the earth. What he's saying to her? Three and a half years to go, right? You, girl, until the Lord God sends rain, the limited resource in your house will never fail you. God will ensure of it. Right? God will personally ensure that it does not fail. Verse 15 she went, I like this, she went and she did according to the word of Elijah. Tell your neighbor, do according to the word of the Lord. Amen. And she and her house ate for, okay, she was prepared to eat the last meal and die. But look at the, her testimony. She ate for many days. Next verse. The bowl of flour was not exhausted. My question to you is, did this woman receive the command of the Lord before Elijah got there? Yes. God said before he sent the prophet, I've already instructed her to offer her first, her last, which was her first, to you. But when he came and he, he said that, she said, no, make for my son and I, we die. Right? And he picked up a spirit of fear in the girl. He says, do not fear. Tell someone next to you, do not fear. The biggest hindrance to accurate financial giving is a spirit of fear that grips the orphan. A spirit of faith grips the Son of God. I want to encourage you. You might shiver and shake. You might be trembling, as I did when I first practiced it. God, but I'm more prepared to obey you. I, I said, like I, I taught when I taught the lesson on Esther, Esther said, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I... Perish. And I made this principle that you would rather perish in the process of obeying God than to employ disobedience as a methodology for your survival. Right? Tell your neighbor, if I perish, I perish. But I perish obeying God. Out of a revelation. Amen. Now, stand with me and lift your hands. And we're going to pray. I just felt this. I was going to continue with the whole principle of honoring financially. But I felt the Lord saying, there's a spirit of fear in some. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Everyone say fearless. Say fearless giving. Right? So we don't, even regards the clouds will not sow. We don't let our, our financial giving be influenced and determined by prevailing economic circumstances. We function out of revelation in obedience to God's word. And all I know, brethren, from the scriptures, God's word cannot fail. God's word will never fail. And the Lord proved how he preserved Elijah even throughout the famine. One stage he even sent a raven to feed the man. But fed him he did. However means God would use, God will preserve you in the time of global economic misfortune and disaster. Amen. Let's pray together. Lift your hands to the Lord. Amen. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I ask in Jesus' name, even now, loving Father, that you would expel the spirit of fear from out of the constitution of our souls. I, I oppose and I give notice to the spirit of fear in the minds of God's people. You have no authority. You have no place amongst the sons of God. You have no place in our minds or spirits. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. You have no place amongst the sanctity of the sanctuary of our spirits nor our souls. And from this point onwards, our Father in heaven, we ask you that whenever you prompt us to give and to observe your principles relative to giving, specifically first fruits, tithes, and offerings, I pray that fear would have no place in governing our obedient responses to you, but rather faith, rather faith well up inside of us. And by faith we will enact. For those listening, I pray great grace and peace be upon you all. I say to you that in seasons of global economic disaster, that you will be preserved like Elijah was. God will even raise up widows to, to, to supply your need in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, by faith we receive your word. May your word grow. May your word multiply. And may great grace be our portion in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.